This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. So, if you have been observing the drought, landslides, and flooding events happening in many of African countries, you will agree with me that they have become more frequent and intense. But the question is, apart from the observation, are African countries investing in infrastructure that will help improve their meteorological and hydrological services and research to understand how the climate is changing in the past, present and future for different sectors such as agriculture, energy, water, among others, to inform adaptation measures they put in place? I post this question, among others, to James Kenyangi, the coordinator for the Climate and Development Special Fund for Africa at the African Development Bank, and Mohamed Bambasela, a lead author at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, and currently the research chair in climate change science at the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences, Rwanda. But before we kick off, just a reminder that this podcast is part of a five-part series on green economy made possible by a collaboration with the African Development Bank Group, particularly its climate change and green growth department. The African Development Bank Group is a continent's premier development finance institution. James, talking of climate change information, the World Meteorological Organization says that the quality and quantity of weather information and forecast in Africa is well below the required minimum and it's not able to provide early warning services. Could we start with you expounding on the status of the national meteorological and hydrological services in key African regional blocks? Thank you. There are big regional differences, Sophie. Um, there are a few countries that uh, you would say have significantly improved services, especially over the last 20 to 25 years. Mm-hmm. We've had investments in uh, national meteorological and hydrological services in countries such as Ethiopia, countries such as Kenya, Tanzania, Morocco, Egypt. There are now more advanced Nigeria. There are now more advanced and are able to provide for um, uh, both the uh, upstream generation with uh, advanced uh, observation uh, networks and also um, develop a significant amount quantity of manpower in order to translate uh, the, the data and observations into applications for um, climate and weather services. Um, then you also have um, another group of countries that um, has been significantly improving, we could say is in the middle. I can give examples, countries such as Ghana, countries such as Uganda, uh, Botswana, uh, uh, Malawi, uh, Zambia. Uh, These are mid-tier countries that have um, a limited number of um, observation networks, especially ground observation networks, maybe not so much in uh, upper air observations, but they have a significant uh, development and employment of uh, ground-based observations and they are also they also have a limited uh, capacity to translate the um, data that's being collected from the observation networks 
into climate and weather services and applications uh, for uh, development sectors and also for DRR in their countries. Then you have many countries that, that are struggling. You have um, countries that are uh, post-conflict, countries that are in fragile uh, situations, countries such as uh, uh, Somalia, Sierra Leone, um, Liberia, countries such as Burundi, uh, Djibouti. Uh, those countries have very, very basic, basic, basic facilities. Um, many of them have only just a few, perhaps less than 10 uh, weather stations that are operational at the moment. Uh, many of them do not have the um, um, the infrastructure to report into what we call the uh, uh, WMO data reporting system. Um, Many of them do not even have the capacity for uh, forecasting, the capacity for observations. They have very limited manpower. They have very limited budgets, and and this is the bulk of of, of where we are in terms of in terms of African countries, especially in the very vulnerable regions of Southern Africa, with the the um, tropical cyclones in the Southern Indian Ocean, uh, the drought across the Sahel and the Horn of Africa and also the flooding that we see from time to time in many of the Central and West African countries. Yeah. So that's, in a nutshell, that's where we are in terms of the Africa's regions. And of course, then there is the complicated case of the small island states, uh, both the Atlantic uh, small island developing states and the Indian Ocean uh, small island developing states, including the um, island of Madagascar. Mm. So. In general, that's where we are in terms of the development of weather observation networks across Africa. Okay. Bambasila, from observation, flooding, drought, landslides are becoming frequent and more intense. But scientifically, are African nations investing enough in understanding how our climate has changed from the past, present, and the future? Are we investing enough in research, in climate change information that can inform development within African nations? Bambasila. Uh, this make we need to adapt or we need to reduce the risk, the disaster risk. If you tell that to the decision maker, so the first question he's going to ask you is, what do we adapt to exactly? Or what are the expected hazards? So what are the risks? So this is, these are the questions uh, they ask you. And then you know that you need to put in place something which is called climate service framework. Which is the generation, packaging, delivery, and uptake of climate information or climate products. Right. Now, this climate information can be historical conditions, that can be current conditions, or that can be future conditions. Historical conditions, these are the observations. Okay. And Current conditions, these are what med services are doing, like the forecast to inform us what's going to happen in the next few hours. Okay. But we need to talk about when you talk about future conditions, okay? Which is the projections, the long term, like 2030, 2050, 2100. So these are the projections. And when they are quantified and tailored for sector, they become climate change information. So that's what we call climate change information. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, the rhetoric in Africa in terms of adaptations, 
has always been and, and still it is, we manage what we cannot avoid. Mm-hmm. And we avoid what we can manage. These are adaptation and mitigations. Of course, in terms of hazard and the impact, right? Yeah. So the question is this. Without this climate change information you're talking about, how can we know the hazards we cannot avoid and those we cannot manage? But this is a good question. So unfortunately in Africa, a lot of funds are invested in adaptations and disaster risk reduction, which is great. So we like that. But nothing, almost nothing is invested in the development of this climate change information. So this is the problem, yeah. Because I already defined you earlier what is climate change information, right? Sure. So with yeah, so without knowing the expected changes, so proactive and anticipatory adaptation will fail. So that is for sure. So it's like we're putting the cart before the horses. So it's like prescribing solutions without knowing the problem. And this is impossible if you want to develop it. When you say, what do you adapt to? What hazard are we expected? Are you expecting? It's not like we're having heat wave that will increase. We're having flood that will increase. We're having drought that will increase. No, you need a quantification of the severity and the frequency. You can call it intensity and frequency. And very important, the time of emergence. So this is very important. When this is going to occur? From okay. when in the time series? And of course, we calculate the relative risk, right? Mm-hmm. So this is what we need. But this investment to quantify this, uh, these things is almost non-existing in Africa. Why? So who exactly? So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. So uh, the question I, I want to ask first is who have the skill to do this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm to develop reliable and robust climate change information. Who has the skill? So the skills are at the research centers and university departments, mm-hmm. right? So I can cite, for example, University of Cape Town. They have a climate system analysis group. They are doing great job on climate, dis- uh, climate change uh, information and data distillation. So you have also the West African Science Service Center on Climate Change and Adaptive Land Use. I have a competence and working on those kind of things. But you also have the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences. So, first of all, the states, the governments, and the officials are from regional bodies, they should know. They have to know that they need climate change information for adaptation and for disaster risk reduction. That's one thing. And the second thing is they the skills are, and they have to go there and get the skills. Mm. Well, the, but, yeah, but why so it's the, important to, to understand the past and the present and future predictions for development? Yes, because uh, the historical uh, the historical condition will teach us what are the different impacts of different hazards we already faced in the past and how actually did we cope with that? So this is about experience, right? So it's very important to know the historical, okay? Mm-hmm. So now, if we talk about right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Right now, if we, if we take the adaptation chart, so we have incremental adaptation, we have system adaptation, we have transformational adaptations. So the incremental adaptations 
uh, adaptation with deal, uh, uh, dealing with the day-by-day -day climate variability, right? So the day-by-day -day, uh, conditions we have and we incrementally adapt uh, uh, to that. So this is one thing. So for this, of course, we need med services for that, okay? Mm -hmm. We start doing the, the forecast. And then we have system adaptations where you need uh, the RCCs, the regional climate centers, doing the regional climate outlook forums. And at some point, the research scientists who are actually doing projections. But for this to be useful, so they have to tailor it for different sectors. Now we have transformational adaptations. And this is very important because this transformational adaptation is for the long term. And we predict that the uh, hazards are going to be more intense in the long term. I'm talking about 2060 to 2100, for example, mm -hmm. right? So uh, these transformational adaptations is action that change the fundamental attribute of a climate system, of a system, not a climate, of a system in general, like society in response to climate change. And uh, some examples are uh, relocation of entire populations, for example, changing land use patterns major change to socio-ecological system. So these are major changes we have to do. So these are transformational adaptations. And these transformational adaptations need, we need long-term climate change information to proceed with that. So that this you see is very, very, very damn important to know the historical period, to know the current climate conditions, and to know the medium to long-term climate, but not just climate, like, oh, precipitation will increase, oh, temperature will increase, oh, precipitation will decrease here. That doesn't make sense. What makes sense is you take a sector and you tailor the climate information, climate change information needed by that sector. Like you have agriculture, you have water resources, you have mm -hmm. energy, you have biodiversity, you have infrastructure. So all of these, we need to construct climate information for these sectors, for whole Africa. And once we got this, now we can think of, okay, what are the best options we have to adapt? What are the best options to have to reduce the risk? Mm -hmm. So in that case, take for example, South Africa. Right now we are having cases of Durban experiencing water challenges at the moment. So it's, you, what you're trying to say is that looking like a city of Durban, looking into previously, like the past climate um, information, uh, what were they observed in the past, what is currently happening now, we're taking, for example, the water, their water sector, and also looking into the future projections and the climate modeling in terms of understanding how the climate is projected to be and how it's been. And then from there, understanding uh, the, the past trends, the present trends and the future projected trends, they would be in a better position to uh, build um, adaptation mechanism around the water sector. Somehow, yeah, to some extent, that's what I said. So the historical period and the current climate conditions can teach you mm -hmm. if you have this kind of hazard, this is, these are the impacts and this is how you have to deal with, all right? Mm -hmm. So that's how the historical and the current climate teach you. Now in future climate, again, yes, you consider the water sector and you look at the information 
uh, which are relevant for the water sector, like water rainfall, for example, water availability, evapotranspiration, mm-hmm. for example, right? Drought, you can around drought mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And they put it to the water sector and then you can predict the impacts, right? If you predict the impacts, now you understand the problem entirely because you have the you you have the you have the current climate and you have the future climate, right? So you fully understand the problem. When you fully understand the problem, you can prescribe solutions. Okay. But again, we need investment in the development of climate change information. And this development is not like you do it once. You have to do it periodically, every five, six years when we have new models, new scenarios, new agreements, new methodologies, right? Mm-hmm. IPCC is great. IPCC reports, they are great. But at some point, they're not really actually providing the information that our countries and our sectors need. Mm-hmm. So the IPCC reports are too broad to me for mm-hmm. our countries, you know? Yeah, sure. So I think we need to invest on the development of uh, of this information because Europe they are having their own. Yeah. Americas they are having their own. But in Africa, what prevents us having it? Mm-hmm. So we need to invest on that. Perfect. So we need to have investment in terms of local information that can be uh, central to the development of that particular country. For example, if it's Rwanda, That's right. you know, develop its mm-hmm. own climate information geared towards where they want to go in terms of development, right? That's right. It's very, very, very important that our countries tailored climate change information for their different development sectors. And this can be done in a coordinated manner with the leadership of AUC and UNECA, and of course WMO. And they need to involve the research centers and university department dealing with climate change because you have different skills. All the skills you need for this are not at the RCCs. They are not at the med services either. Okay. So you have to combine RCCs, med services, research centers, university department to do that. James, we're talking about building climate resilient sectors for development. Uh, hence, different sectors must have this climate change information in order to build right adaptation measures, right? If we do not have good meteorological and hydrological services in many countries, how does that affect decisions in terms of climate resilience? But James, before I let you answer, let me remind our listeners that this conversation is part of a five-part green economy series made possible by a collaboration with the Africa's premier development finance institution, the African Development Bank Group, and in particular, its climate change and green growth department. Um, Sophie, big time. Mm-hmm. Think of the uh, droughts in the Sahel and the Horn of Africa. Um, we see, we can get initial signals from the uh, global observation systems. Thank God that is possible. So if we get, you know, sets of um, data and um, um, early warning alerts from, uh, you know, uh, NASA and uh, European meteorological and, and satellite system, or from, let's say, for example, the UK Met, we can we can at least be able to uh, detect some of these um, these events uh, early. You know, we can be able to 
know months ahead that uh, that a drought is pending we can see these tropical cyclones and how they're moving just using the global circulation uh, uh, modeling work mm. um, now there's a huge gap between what we see and what warnings we receive and the action that we are able to take so that aspect of decision making there is a very big gap in decision making um you know if you ask me how we can bridge this gap uh, again the discussion is is very long but it's about building capacities it's about building capacities for downscaling some of those um, uh, global data sets and global modeling into regional capabilities which uh -huh. is something we have been doing here at the African Development Bank with the uh -huh. Climate uh, Development um, Africa Special Fund yeah. um, in order to uh, to provide uh, regional teams with capacity for modeling high high performance computing systems but also to downscale that to countries so that some of those early warnings can be generated at the country level and even be cascaded to the local community so if you take the example of a you know tropical cyclone idai that hit you know the port city of beira in mozambique uh, you know you you can see from the global modeling data sets you can see the movement of that storm across the southern indian ocean but once that storm hit the port city of beira you have to make sure that there is capacity with the um, local disaster management teams in beira to be able to anticipate and respond to the impacts of the storm in terms of flooding in terms of saving people and property in terms of making sure that um, there is a um, infrastructure to support the uh, municipalities and the local districts and the rural areas uh, within the irrigation schemes that were flooded to be able to recover back to, to recover and to build back better mm -hmm. so that means it's very important even if there is countries uh, we can get um, projections from the international sources and stuff it's very important to actually have um, climate and weather information generated within country levels absolutely absolutely this is uh, this is key because uh, this is where we anticipate that a lot of the decisions that are made are going to be translated into action so if i go back again and give the example of mozambique mm -hmm. if you're thinking about what the ingc which is the disaster management authority in mozambique can do with the information that they receive uh, they have to have the capacity to mobilize their own ground teams to move into these disaster areas to anticipate move populations um, you know, provide information over the local media through uh, print and and other administrative jurisdictions in order to make sure that people are cleared from harm's way and also that property is secured against the damage of the tropical cycle. So it's, um, it's a whole chain of events from the global data sets and modeling that demonstrates and, and, and shows us how to anticipate these um, extreme events all the way down to the local jurisdictions that prepare in order to support to move people and property out of harm's way okay and i might add uh, sophie also not just thinking about the drr side but if you think about the development sectors let me again quickly give the example of the um, kariba dam on the zambezi river yeah um, the um, 
hydroelectric station there is very important for providing energy to um, those two countries, uh, Zambia and uh, Zimbabwe. And in the last 10 or 15 years, it has experienced its lowest ever fill of water in the dam due to the impacts up, upstream on the um, um, Zambezi River, but also due to the, the climate variability in that region that, that has resulted in a, a low volume of recharge for the river in order to fill the dam. So if you think about the last 15 years, how it could have been possible to gather that information and do some long-term modeling and anticipate that yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the very low fill levels of the dam will be experienced during this last decade mm -hmm. that could have allowed the two countries uh, to make the um, sufficient plans for uh, alternative energy sources sure. um, and and it's very sad that uh, we are now in a period where the two countries are scrambling to find um, you know resources that um, you and I understand um, uh, have many other priorities to put together alternative energy sources in order to meet the demand for energy for the populations for those two countries. Absolutely, and that is what the Climate and Development uh, Africa Special Fund is helping countries, you know, in bridge these particular gaps. Yes, um, so we're doing that at um, three or four different levels. First. Let me men mention that um, we are deploying uh, some grant resources to the regional climate centers across Africa. That's the um, Africa Center for Meteorological Applications and Development, ACMAD, mm -hmm. um, the, um, the Sahel Seals um, Climate Center Agreement, the um, Sada Climate Center uh, in Gaborone, uh, and also the IGAD Climate Prediction Center in Nairobi, as well as now we have created a, a new center for Central Africa that is based in, in Douala in Cameroon. So that's mm. the ECAS Climate uh, Center. So we are building the capacity of these, these centers fast in the applications and modeling itself. We are strengthening them in their, their physical facilities. We are also uh, providing um, uh, support to train a new generation of um, scientists. Uh, and then we are also supporting the, uh, the uh, installation of, a, of um, power, internet and communications facilities in order that um, a lot of the information that's being generated from the uh, uh, technical modeling teams and uh, other support uh, functions within the centers uh, can be shared with the countries in the regions. So, you know, for example, ECAS that gives the provide services to ten countries in Central Africa. There is that that network that the, a lot of the work that is being done at the regional climate center can then cascade down to the to the countries. Okay. So that's one level at which we're working. The second level where we're working is to make sure that the countries also have some limited capacity. So we are providing the countries with um, um, low performance uh, computing clusters. Um, in order to strengthen the national and hydrological and meteorological services in their ability to receive data and compute that data. Third, what we're doing is we are building the capacities of these um, regional engagement platforms, uh, borrowing on the um, ex expertise of the WMO, uh, Global Climate, uh, Global Framework on Climate Services, in order to create this network within countries where 
it is easy to share information back and forth seamlessly. Uh, let me give a quick example here in, in Ivory Coast. We have supported the, um, the development of a national disaster uh, risk response uh, platform where the law commit agency Sodexam uh, is able to freely distribute and share information, early warning alerts uh, for uh, flood, uh, flooding events for uh, the city of Abidjan. So that kind of a network, when we create it into a country network, I think is very important in responding to some of these extreme events. Absolutely. And then lastly, mm -hmm. what we're doing uh, is that uh, we are making sure that uh, we're able to help create uh, a more sustainable financing mechanism by uh, supporting the applications of countries to the Green Climate Fund. Uh, to find additional resources to invest in uh, building their climate um, and early warning systems, uh, including work with the WMO now to create what we call the Global Systematic um, Observation Financing Facility, um, which will be a facility that will provide for this gap of between um, uh, 2.5 to 3 billion US dollars that is required to modernize uh, observe, um, climate observation networks in order that uh, countries are able to report their data into what we call the global basic observation network so okay. that they become uh, what we call GBON compliant. Okay and before I let you go um, I'm, I'm wondering in terms of technology because technology is very is required in terms of these countries to have on ground and uh, on a uh, infrastructure that they able to do the monitoring are you is is the project yes. is it helping in terms of them countries install and have such kind of infrastructure uh, available? yes so so sophie we we provide the limited set of grants so our grants are only very limited they will perhaps be just in the region of about um, a million euros one and a half million euros all the way to five million euros mm -hmm. um and 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 these are you know, project preparation facilities, there are grants that, uh, you know, technical assistance to countries and to enable them to prepare themselves in a way in which they can access uh, bigger pots of resources to invest in creating their own um, infrastructure for climate and weather observation, but also develop their own services for uh, uh, the development sectors and, and DRR. Okay. Now, Having said that, let me say, in terms of the technologies, we are lagging behind. Okay. But let me talk about um, uh, two areas of focus. One, there is traditionally what we call the ground-based observations, uh -huh. as well as the upper air observations. Yeah. Um, if you look at the coverage for ground-based observations, if you look at the, my colleague uh, Lars Peter, at uh, WMO in Geneva likes to show this map of um, the function of uh, uh, ground-based observation systems uh, globally. And you see all these dark spots around Africa, which show that many of the ground-based uh, stations in Africa are not reporting data to mm. the um, WMO Global Transmission System, which we call the GTS. Now, uh, if you look at that, technology. These are traditionally the types of stations that we've historically had that, that are collecting historical data and information that's related to climate and weather. 
we have very poor coverage in Africa. So we need to work on making sure we improve the coverage of ground-based observa ob observation stations. Mm -hmm. Now, including also upper air observation. Now, upper air observation is very important because of um, both aviation and also to some limited extent um, marine transport. Um, secondly, uh, when you compare the use of what we now call earth observation, so earth observation has to do with the remote sensed applications and satellite-based uh, 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 tools. Um, we, we, none, none of the, apart from South Africa, none of the, the, the African countries is, is, is perhaps running their own um, satellite, Me, meaning that a lot of our regions have to hook up onto satellites that are being run by European institutions and North American, Japanese, Asian institutions that are the, the polar orbiting uh, satellites in order to access mm -hmm. uh, information and data packets that are related to Earth observation. Mm. So this is an area which is completely underdeveloped, one, because we don't have the expertise, two, because we don't have the basic uh, receiving stations across Africa. The Climdev Special Fund has, um, in, in a fast for Africa, is installing four regional retransmission stations. One uh, is going to be based at uh, SANSA, the South African uh, Space uh, Agency. Um, in, uh, a second one is going to be based in Gabon at Aegeus. A third one is going to be based in Miami, Niger at uh, Agrimet. And a fourth one is now being located at IPAC. This these regional retransmission stations are going to provide the coverage for that section of Africa that has not been covered by um, by orbiting satellites. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they'll be able to receive that satellite data and satellite information. And um, regional centers that are working with, uh, with this type of information for numerical weather prediction and forecasting for extreme events will be, will be able to access this information from now onwards. Um, hopefully the stations are up and running by the beginning of um, next year. So if you couple that with, uh, as I mentioned, um, transport, uh, you know, especially air, air transport, very critical across Africa mm -hmm. to improve um, air transport across Africa. Uh, the uh, installation of a um, regional radar also is very important. So in terms of technology, again, we're still lagging behind. Only a few countries are able to afford regional radar. Maybe there's one in Tanzania, there might be one in Kenya, there could be two in Nigeria. But you have these large parts of the regions in Africa that are not covered by regional radar. And, and therefore, uh, we have that very big gap in being able to service both the air transport sector and also the marine sector. Yeah. Just the final one, Bambasela, if you could just quickly add on what are the existing gaps um, and what needs to be done. For example, one typical example, all right? So uh, the tropical cyclone that hits Mozambique, but it touched somehow all that region, right? So we don't know its return period. We don't know the return period of those kind of uh, events. So this is one thing. So the second thing is, do we know how flood is going to intensify? And what's, what's going to be its, uh, its frequency in our African cities, for example? And how much this is going to increase or decrease and where? 
and what would be the contribution, for example, of different uh, factors that I can uh, tell here, of course, that precipitation in one of it, right? So we don't know. Do we know how drought is going to increase in the future? Mm -hmm. So this is also another problem because we say, oh yeah, we see heat wave is going to increase, drought is, going, is increasing and this may increase in the future. But this is too broad. So what will happen in Senegal? What will happen in Kenya? What will happen in Tanzania? What's going to happen in Rwanda, South Africa? Do we have a quantification of drought severity and drought frequency and drought intensity, for example? Do we have a percentage of it? Do we know the time of emergence of these extremes, of these hazards? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of, lot of, lot of things to do. And we need actually to quantify all of this before actually diving into deep adaptations. Mm. Otherwise, again, it's like a blind man driving a car. So that's how it looks like. Bambasila and James, unfortunately, that's all the time we had today. But I sincerely appreciate you for taking your time today to join this conversation. Thank you very much, Sophie. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Sophie. And that was James Kinyangi, the coordinator for the Climate in Development Special Funds for Africa at the African Development Bank Group, and Mohamed Bambasela, a lead author at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, and currently the research chair in climate change science at the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences, Rwanda, discussing the status of climate change information in Africa. Remember, this conversation was made possible by a collaboration with the continent's premier development finance institution, the African Development Bank Group, particularly its climate change and green growth department. Just a reminder, you can access this podcast anytime on our website, Africa Climate Conversations, and every other channel you access your podcast from. Please do not forget to share this podcast because someone on your, on your network would benefit from this conversation. Until next week, Kwaheri, have a productive and safe week ahead. Inaendeshwa na Afribots.